Hey y'all, welcome to the companion podcast for Stay Calm Comic. I'm your host, Luce RC. Today, we're going to talk about decision making. I like to think that when we talk about process with a capital P, we're really talking about collaboration and how people work together. And when we talk about people working together, what we really want to talk about is how they make decisions. There are kinds of collaborations that are pretty straightforward when it comes to decision making. Say you have a team of people and each person owns a separate component that doesn't depend on the other components that other people work on. They're essentially making independent individual decisions. This is an additive or a delegatory kind of collaboration. Pretty straightforward. What I want to talk about is conflict. Collaborations where we have to say no where we have to decide a single solution or a single path forward for the whole team to take together. So what does it look like when decision-making breaks down, particularly when there's conflict? Well, actually, what it usually looks like is an avoidance of conflict. In meetings, for example, someone may propose an idea and ask if there's any concerns and move on too quickly before people have a chance to think about the idea or voice their concerns. They'll move on too quickly and say, okay, no one said anything. Sounds like this is the idea we're going to move forward with. So that's moving on too quickly. Another thing that can happen in meetings is that people hear support for their idea and just assume, great, everybody likes this idea and, again, moves on too quickly when, in fact, maybe there was someone who wasn't on board and now feels uncomfortable. Do they go with the flow and get along socially? Do they raise their hand and dissent against this enthusiastic majority? It's a hard position to be in. Another thing that can happen is that discussions go around and around in circles with nothing being decided, with no clear next step occurring. This can mean that seemingly arbitrary decisions get made, maybe the last thing that was talked about before the meeting ended, or maybe nothing really gets decided. This happens a lot in pull requests. How many times have you seen a cool idea on a pull request? There's some discussion, some concerns, people have different opinions about how to get the work done. And the discussion just fizzles out and that pull request just sits there. The second area where a lack of decision making can really harm us from a technical point of view is when people get work done on the weekend or in the evenings or outside of normal collaboration processes as a way to just get this done. It's often a reaction to the fizzling out discussion problem. Our discussions go around in circles. I'm just going to execute and get this done and solve the problem. The problem with just getting work done is that it overrides other people's concerns. It's a bullying tactic. Instead of taking the time to listen to someone's concerns and meet them where they are, it's instead saying, no, I'm going to push harder on my idea. I'm going to be more aggressive and push harder to get it done and show it to you and force it essentially to get accepted. So this isn't a great way to resolve conflict either, although I suppose in many ways it at least gets some work done and that can be seen as progress. It may come with a cost to engagement and participation and even the overall quality of your product may be going down if we're not actually utilizing collaboration to find the best solutions. Of course, it doesn't have to be this way. That's what this podcast is about. That's what this comic is about. As managers, we have the power and the responsibility to enable effective and inclusive processes that have good results and that are good experiences too. So I'm going to tell you about how I think about decision making. First, let me tell you that my thoughts come from Sam Kaner's workbook, 
called The Facilitator's Guide to Participatory Decision-Making. I highly recommend this book. It's a big book, but it's not a dense textbook. It's not a dense read. Each page is an actionable activity or a model of how to think about decision-making and how to facilitate each of the steps in the process. There's a ton of information in there and it's all very actionable. So we're rolling along and something changes. Someone has an idea and now we're faced with the need to solve a problem and make a decision. First, whenever there's a change, we're in a storming process and that means we need to set expectations about how the decision is going to be made and how people can be constructively involved. That's step one, communication. Now, what are we actually gonna communicate? That's what is gonna happen in the next two phases. First, there's a divergent process that you need to facilitate some kind of brainstorming or coming up with ideas. Then you're gonna facilitate a convergent process and that's where the decision-making rules that are mentioned in the comic come into play. How are we going to choose which of these solutions to actually move forward with? Are we gonna take a vote? Are we gonna flip a coin? Is someone in charge gonna make the decision? Are we gonna use consensus and require unanimous support? And then finally, the last phase is to enable closure. It's another communication phase to make sure that everyone is on the same page, that we're all committed to the same decision, that even though we disagreed, we can move forward together and return to our daily flow. The two decision-making comics center on decision-making rules. How do you know which rule to utilize? When do you make the decision as the person in charge? When do you delegate? When do you make sure everyone supports the idea? When do you just take a vote? How do you know which decision-making rule to use? Because you can use lots of different rules. They're all good for different reasons. There are two things that I recommend looking at. The first is to look at how does each person feel about the proposal? This is pretty straightforward. Once you get people to open up, are folks enthusiastic about the idea? Will they own this project and drive to get it done or, you know, raise their hand to, you know, sign me up to do whatever you need? Are they lukewarm about the idea? Maybe they'll follow directions, but they don't really have an opinion or they don't really need to be involved, but, you know, it's cool if it goes forward, that sort of thing. Or are they against it? Are they like, no way, I will drag my feet, I'll actively work against the success of this idea. Maybe they have major concerns that need to be resolved before they're on board. Okay, so that's just figuring out how do people feel about this proposal. These are called gradients of support. There can be a lot more gradients here. I've listed three main categories, but you can see how these could be more spread out depending on what your situation is. But essentially, you know how people feel. And then two, what levels of support do you actually need to have a successful decision? Let me give you some examples here to help make this clear. If you're kicking off an architectural design for a three-month project that the entire team is going to be working on and heavily invested in, and they're going to be needing to solve problems and be creative and really push this forward, well, you might need enthusiastic support from everyone then. Certainly, if someone is against this idea, I mean, that might be worth really considering what their concerns are and do we need to come up with a different approach or do we need to get someone on board so that they can be an active part of the team just for the success of this project. On the other hand, if every day at 11.45, people ask the question, where do we go for lunch? You might not need enthusiastic support every single day to answer that question. Some folks will just be happy to tag along. People who are against the idea will just go somewhere else or maybe they bring in their, their lunch. You don't need to invest a ton of time in making sure everyone is completely on board and excited about where you're going for lunch. This is not to say that determining where to eat lunch isn't sometimes 
a valuable decision to invest time in. For example, if your team never eats together and you've decided that you want to build relationships and bring people together and you want to have a lunch where everyone does come and participate, then having support is important. You want to make sure that everyone feels like they've been heard and that this was a valuable experience and you don't want some folks to feel like, oh, my allergies weren't taken into account or I hate this kind of food or I don't have time for this. I'm really busy because I have a presentation to give at 1230 or something. You know, you want to take everyone's concerns into account and make sure that if it's a team building opportunity that everyone can actually engage with team building. So you can look at your situation and your objectives and decide what kind of trade-offs you're willing to make. What is really necessary to meet the objectives of this decision and to successfully implement the solution? Let's bring this back to the code review examples we started with earlier, where people can't agree on a solution, there's conflict in the discussion, and it either in the past would fizzle out or maybe someone would implement something somewhat arbitrary over the weekend. What can we do instead? Well, first, the question is just how much time do we invest in this situation? In terms of a code review, if someone is implementing something a certain way, but it's well abstracted and it can be changed later, maybe we don't need to argue about all of the details here. Maybe we can let someone try what they think is the best thing, and if it needs to be revised later, we'll revise it later. Maybe this is a good learning experience. It's very useful, in fact, to have a more inexperienced engineer work with someone more senior who has specific criteria in mind about the guidance they're going to give. Like, let's make sure we do meet our deadlines. Let's make sure certain quality control measures happen in terms of testing or security. But beyond that, let the lessons be learned. Let people try things. Let experimentation happen. Invest time on the important issues. So in a code review, that may not be the implementation details. I mean, sure, you can always point out ideas and provide alternatives and see what people think, but be really clear about what are blockers, what would stop this pull request from going through, and what's okay. And be really clear about that and and wield blockers as an intentional investment. So for example, if a pull request includes a new API or protocol that is going to be extremely difficult to change later, well, yeah, let's try and get it right up front. Let's invest time in getting on the same page and making a good key decision. And if that means having a meeting in addition to, you know, an asynchronous pull request, you know, that's fine. That can be a way to move things forward. And the guidebook from Sam Kaner has a ton of great activities, like I mentioned before, to facilitate both the divergent brainstorming process as well as the convergent decision-making process. And you can start to use those specific activities to help make the actual decisions. I'm not going to dig into those activities on this episode, but I do have one final piece of advice for what you can do now that you have these levels of support and assuming that you want higher levels of support and you have some blockers, what do you do? There's two things really. One, you can find a different proposal, find something that they can support instead, or you can try and change their mind. So let me talk about both of those things. First, finding a different solution. One of the reasons we often have these circular, non-resolving discussions, especially in engineering, is that people are not used to quickly creating and evaluating proposals. We aren't used to evaluating something we don't fully understand. That's scary. We want to find out more. We want to ask all these questions, and that can derail a conversation. It may actually be great feedback that more preparation was needed before the meeting so that folks could fully understand the ideas. But it also could be that we don't like to discard our ideas. We, we hold on to them and we want to change them and improve them. 
So there's a really cool exercise I recommend trying with your team to practice letting go. You state the problem, for example, coming up with a project name. Anyone can propose a solution. They can propose a name. And as soon as someone makes a proposal, you vote. You have everyone say whether they're enthusiastic, lukewarm, or no way. And you can do this in different ways. It could be on a shared document where people just write in numbers. Positive numbers mean enthusiasm. Negative numbers mean no way. You could use hand signals. You could even just have people raise their hands. And I would recommend if you do this to make it raise your hand if you're against this idea. Because one of the decision-making rules you could use for this, which I recommend for this exercise, is that we will accept any proposal as long as no one is against it. We're not looking for enthusiastic support. We just want to find something that we can all move forward with because in this case, our objective is to move forward. So that's a cool exercise. The goal is to evaluate 20 proposals in 20 minutes, 20 proposals in 10 minutes. You really wanna see how fast can you speed through this and get everyone to experience this idea that proposals are cheap. We don't need to hang on to them. If we don't like some small part of proposal A, then propose B, and it's okay if B looks a lot like A, but it fixes X. We can move through things quickly and not hold on to them and not be afraid to let go and not be afraid to say no and to vote against things and to propose something else. This exercise, it helps us evaluate ideas quickly, even without all the information and security that we want to have, and it helps us not get locked on to certain proposals. I'm not trying to say that we don't want to sometimes have enthusiastic support. Certainly, I want every member of my team to be enthusiastic about something at work, but I don't need them to be enthusiastic about everything. Often, I just need us to move forward together. By the way, if you want to use this exercise to actually make decisions, there are two steps that you might want to insert when people make proposals you might want to give folks a chance to ask clarifying questions. These are not judgments or opinions. Ideally, they're purely for clarification and then you vote. And lastly, after the clarification, you may want to add some way for folks to share their opinions, to share pros and cons. I recommend not doing this as a discussion where there's back and forth, but simply where folks either popcorn style or as a whip around so that everyone is involved. People share their pros and their cons or whatever their takeaways are from the proposal. And of course, this exercise, which is actually an awesome decision-making technique, this can be applied in meetings as well as email threads or Slack channels or pull requests or wherever you're seeing discussion happen that's getting lost and not really moving forward to next steps. The two things that you want to take away from this are one, clear proposals that state actionable next steps, and then two, clear levels of support that state whether someone is enthusiastic or if they have major concerns that are blockers that need to be resolved. Once you have folks making clear proposals and showing clear levels of support, you really just need to set down a clear decision-making rule and boom, you have an awesome decision-making process working for you. Okay, so just to go back, we're trying to answer this question of what do we do when we have blockers, when we need more support than what we have. And we just talked about changing the proposal, finding something that will work for everyone. The other thing we can do is try and change someone's mind. When it comes to changing people's minds, there might be two different things at stake here. The first is simply that we have multiple proposals 
they all kind of work. How do we pick one? It's not that anyone is necessarily blocking any other approach. It's just unclear. How do we actually pick? And this is where utilizing a analytical comparison tool can really help. So for example, when you have a discussion that's kind of going around in circles, maybe it's time to stand up and start listing things on the whiteboard. Make these pros and cons of each approach visual, put them side by side and evaluate them and write down what are your actual objectives in this moment? What's important? What pros and cons matter and what pros and cons are less important? Maybe that clarifies which decision will actually be better for this situation. The other time where you may want to change someone's mind is when someone is blocking too much. Sometimes someone's reasoning, you realize that maybe they have some bad habits that they've developed from unhealthy work situations where there was scarcity or politics or lots of things going on and they develop these negative reactions, essentially saying no too much and not being as open or as flexible as would really benefit the team. Flexibility is vital to collaboration and it's vital for collaborations that someone doesn't get their way all the time. That would be a disservice to everyone else on the team. So it's a skill that you can develop with folks and encourage them to spend more time with other people's point of views and to be more open and less reactionary when someone proposes something and to really think more about what are the next steps that would be constructive for this situation. So I do think this is really important. Essentially, blocking too much can be a bullying behavior, can really shut things down. And that's something that you're going to want to deal with one-on-one if you're someone's manager and you're seeing this happen. But that's a different episode. So to summarize what we've talked about in this episode, decision-making process is really cool. There's four steps. You want to set the expectations. You want to have a divergent process where you do a bunch of brainstorming. You want to have a convergent process where you utilize a specific decision-making rule, which we've gone into some detail with. And finally, you want to have some closure where you help everyone move forward together and commit to this decision and implement it, even if there was disagreement previously. In terms of the decision-making rule, what it really comes down to is what kind of support do you need for this decision to be successful? Some decision-making rules only require some enthusiastic supporters, like delegation, for example, or they just require a majority of lukewarm support. Other decision-making rules like consensus requires that everyone is at least not blocking, or maybe you need everyone to be enthusiastic. So how can you tell how much support you actually need? The kinds of things you want to look at are, what are the stakes? Are they high? Maybe you need more support in those cases. Will the results of this decision have a long-term impact or a short-term impact? Short-term impacts, maybe you don't need as much support because things are gonna change soon anyway. What about stakeholders? If buy-in is critical, then you wanna invest in getting support from your stakeholders. The same thing goes for those who are executing this decision. If the implementers will need to use their own judgment and creativity and self-motivation to execute the solution, then you probably need a fair amount of support from them. On the other hand, if your implementers don't have a ton of autonomy, maybe it's okay if they're only lukewarm or even against the idea. So that's how you can figure out which decision-making rule to use based on how much support you need behind an idea in order for it to be implemented successfully. And lastly, what do you do 
if someone doesn't support your proposal, how do you actually invest in getting support? The two main levers you have at your disposal are to one, change the proposal, keep proposing different things, get used to not being afraid to say no, and instead to create and evaluate tons of different proposals and to not hold on to any one idea. That's one thing you can try. Another thing you can try is changing someone's mind through analytical comparison tools, for example, or lessening the scariness of the proposal by setting clear boundaries on it. This is an experiment. We're going to try it for a certain amount of time, and these are the success criteria. And if it doesn't work out, we'll go back to doing it how we've done it before. I hope you found this episode useful. Let me know what you thought. You can find me on Twitter at StayCalmComic. And you can also send me anonymous feedback and anonymous questions if you want me to cover something in particular in a comic or podcast. Ask.fm slash StayCalmComic. Let me know. Thanks, y'all. It means a lot to me. And thanks for listening. Stay calm.